in three, two, one, and we're live. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Film Trooper Presents Film Marketing Fridays. And today's episode is sponsored by the Fantastic Four. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, I love this bu uh, little uh, voice bubble or speech bubble. Finally, we aren't the worst Fantastic Four anymore. So this concept here is that there was a huge flop, obviously, uh, in the trade papers with the latest Fantastic Four movie. Uh, costing a lot of money and not, you know, making nearly anything back and probably just killing that particular series of characters. Uh, who knows? In terms of those actors associated with this this version of F Fantastic Four. There's always flops. They always happen. However, if Hollywood is nothing more than a collection of like big magic, mega budget movies, uh, what happens if there's more flops or something, you know, implodes or more people aren't paying uh, the money to go see them? Uh, two years ago, Spielberg said there's going to be an implosion. Mega budget movies are going to go crashing to the ground, and that's going to change the paradigm. So the question is, what do you do if the Hollywood implosion happens? Well, you can check out the new book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It, and you can find that over at survivetheimplosion.com. Cool. So today's episode, we're going to call it for the topic, we're going to call pricing your film, <laughs> and I am joined um, by guest filmmaker Matt Garman. And let's see here, this is me. I'm Sky McMahon. I'm a fellow film trooper over at FilmTrooper.com, and this is my guest filmmaker today. As we're going to uh, ask and answer some questions that he um, <clears throat> that he has. Why don't you say hi, Matt, and introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. everybody. <laughs> I'm Matt Garman. I am a, a Uber filmmaker here in Turlock, California, kind of right in the middle of the state of California, halfway to, to the beach, halfway to the mountains, and then uh, right in the middle between uh, like Oregon and Los Angeles. There you are. And you mentioned that, you know, Modesto is you are, that's just north of you, correct? Yeah, just about 20, 20 minutes right up the freeway. So those of you who don't know, Modesto's um, one of the most famous people, famous people that come out of there was George Lucas who that's where a lot of his, uh, you know, youth, he grew up there. Uh, American Graffiti was based on the hot rotting, you know, just cruising the strip in Modesto. Uh, so just give you some relevant, you know, ge geography re reference, you know, <laughs> where Matt's at. And Very I think cool. even someone in the movie, they say that our, our claim to fame used to be someone in American Graffiti said, hey, where are you from? And they said, I'm from Turlock. <laughs> nice. Some of great callback. Awesome. Um, so we're going to get right into it. You have a couple questions and they're all good. And even though the theme of today's show is uh, pricing your film, well, that'll come in the end. So let's just uh, jump into the questions. We've uh, jump over here. You see the screen share and you see that. So we have the first question, which is, well, what level of production do you have to put together before talking to a casting director or trying to approach uh, recognizable talent. Um, so we can answer that question first. Let's just get into that. The interesting thing about <clears throat> what I understood uh, when I was um, I was I had the benefit of being friends with a casting director in Los Angeles many many years ago, uh, not too you know a couple of years ago. Um, she has since tragically passed away, but my relationship uh, with her allowed me to utilize her service and her know how to essentially build a name recognizable cast for this particular film project I wor was working on. 
And so this is kind of like just give you an idea like how that sort of system works. Everybody's wondering like, well, how do you get a name star to be in your film? One, you got to have money. You know, <laughs> sometimes you, you, I mean, it's almost impossible to ask somebody with a name, recognizable name without some sort of cash. Uh, there's a thing in Hollywood they call like uh, pay or play, which is most producers will never want to do that. Essentially, they will pay a certain amount of fee to this particular star, whether or not the film is made or not. It's like, you know, crazy. It's but it's a tactic to sort of secure like a star for your film so then you can use that leverage to get investors in. So um, the perspective of an investor, I did last, um, the show, that, uh, the interview I just did yesterday in Film Marketing Fridays, we kind of went a little over the basics of film funding. But there's a, there's a level of film financing or funding where you're trying to get money for the development stage. So the initial like writing of the script or all the, you know, to get things going or acquiring, uh, you know, a license for, from a book or an author that might be called development costs. Um, anything to give your project some sort of leverage that has value to it. Usually, like I said, um, a script's ready to roll or it's based off a existing material. And then you need like money for production and, and then you need like more money for production. And then you need money, then you need to do another round of financing for uh, the post-production. And the funny thing is there's a whole nother section called P&A distribution funds for the financing, which is prints and advertising funds. And that's essentially um, the last money in, in order to get your film distributed, uh, you know, set up or, you know, uh, marketed out to the, to the market, uh, marketed out to the market, marketed out to the, you know, when you're trying to sell it or on the, in the, the theatrical run. Um, the interesting thing is that majority of the film investors that come in at the tail end and where they put the funds up for the P&A uh, distribution part of it, uh, they also, because they know the film needs this type of money or this type of financing at the very end to make it successful, they are able to negotiate the deal in the investment um, business plan to also be the first ones to get paid out. Meaning that the first bit of money that is profitable in this film, those last bit of investors uh, get the money out first. So they call it last in, first out. Whoever is the last person to put their money into the investment is the, is the first people in line to get their money out. So you'll see this is a strategy used very successfully by the Weinstein Company. Um, so you'll see a lot of production companies that, that assume the risks of putting all the money together to make their film. But the Weinsteins can sweep, swoop in at the tail end and um, do the marketing and the promotions and all the distribution part of it. And they, you know, they decide that they don't have to put as much money in as it did to cost to make the film. And yet they reap the, all the rewards, you know. So it's sort of a weird thing about the film financing world. If you want to know who the real players are, it's usually the people coming in last and then pulling out the money first. So with that said, where does the casting director come in and where does the star come in in terms of like building your project? Um the honestly, if you have money, it's it might be easier to um, have some sort of money. You can hire a casting director as a consultant. You know, you could do a one day to see, uh, but you do your due diligence, like find films. Anybody out there, you find films that are similar, like you think you're making a film like I think it's similar to this independent film or this, you know, you know, something that was successful. And then you use something like IMDb Pro. 
when you pay for like the monthly service and you can see who the casting director or directors were of that particular film and then try to do a collection of films that are, are similar because you might find that this is the uh, same casting director has done a couple of them and so what that means is the casting director is that person you maybe want to target to hire as a consultant for one day or coffee or whatever it is i mean and they'll tell you straight up like looking at your project they can do an assessment of what stars they think uh would be you know the easiest to approach you know for your particular project and they might have a, they should have a list of people you might not have thought of you know so then you're like oh okay i never thought that and then they can help possibly build a strategy or recommendation of how to approach uh this particular uh actor or actors to get them on board so you might need to have a little bit of funds in place just to get the ball rolling in order to get an attachment hopefully um if they respond well to the material because what happens when you hire the casting director you get their consulting you get their uh ideas you re do your business plan and maybe you say can we approach these actors and says i will you know the casting director should if they're being paid to send out uh, basically a notice they they are uh have a working relationship with agencies and managers that they can you know get a list of people that could come in and look at the script or whatnot um and nothing's ever cut and dry you know some casting director says look i'm not going to put my name out unless you you definitely have a cast like a budget you know um but they might be able to angle it such as i see where you're at with your project it sounds like a good one i read it you're paying me for the consultation or the initial, you know, hiring. Um, these, this is my recommendation, and you know, go from there. Um, the interesting thing, so that's how you would kind of maybe approach it in terms of like what level of production. You know what? It's you might have something in your production that even if it's a small scale, it doesn't maybe be really inexpensive, but you might have something, uh, somebody working on it, uh, maybe the film where it's being shot at like you said your hometown maybe there's an actor that is from the hometown you know you never know what reasons an actor will uh, contribute or decide to commit to the uber independent production so um you know you kind of but but unless you go out there and find out you you know you, you won't know so i don't know if that helps any but i can tell you a quick story after you know after this to, to give you an idea of like how that casting process worked no definitely i was just i'm always curious because being like a an uber independent filmmaker and you know every every nickel i kind of put into the movie is like a nickel that doesn't go towards buying food or whatever and kind of being at that level yeah like i don't even know where to start like if it was ten thousand dollars then i could go like all right you know i need to find a way to raise or save ten thousand dollars then maybe I could approach someone like this or like that, but like having no idea of where to start, you don't even know, you know, where to start, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to I kind of get the ball rolling. My take is if you're going to go the route of a named actor or a star, um, at that particular point, you may want to get the initial invest an investors fund uh, because you don't want to be at the mercy of like your own savings account, you know, to go kind of into it. Uh, the idea of the investor, they have that expendable cash. And if you can connect like your story uh, with an investor, just saying, look, 
this is the stage of what we need to do. It's like, I need, um, I need to, we need to secure a reputable casting agent or casting director, and then they will have the, uh, the experience, know-how connections, the proper connections we need in terms of, you know, they, they, their calls are going to be accepted by an agent or manager. You know what I mean? Cause as long as they've done some work in the past. Um, when they have relationship with agencies and they have relationships with actors, uh, the people that you may not know of. So the difference is to the investor, it says, we need to put some money in first. And the, the hardest money to get in any investment uh, for a, a film project is the first money in. Like nobody wants to be the first person in. But unless you can convince somebody, an investor to do so, um, perhaps you can say, look, for something as small as a thousand to five thousand to ten thousand dollar, we by all means, the, the scope of the budget of this film, 10,000 is going to be a lot. Um, I think we can work with a casting director and secure at least an attachment or intent to work on our film by one of your favorite actors. You know, so it's one of those things like, oh, cool. So that's all I have to invest. And in. And, and the plan is like, yes, yeah, so we need to get them on, on board, but we need to have some money up front. Once they have on front, we can then go to the next stages of financing. Um, all the necessary stages of fund uh, financing to move forward, you know, or crowdfunding, or, you know, say you get a little bit of kick that way. Um, at, at that particular level, when you're getting to that level with uh, a known star, like see, even if you're trying to raise 20, $25,000, $50,000, $250,000, it's just a massive amount of undertaking of just organizing funds and convincing people. And that's the job of the producer when the producer those producers who do well in Hollywood, they're not necessarily making films. Their whole world is based around, I made the deal. So if you ever go to like the American film market or any film market across the world, um, the, the one thing that's missing from those film, mar film markets is the audience. There's no, there's no thought to what where the audience is or who what the audience even cares. Everybody's there to try to make a deal. It's you and I going to the market and saying, we have a project. And we're, we think we put everything in place. We got all the elements in place. We have uh, this star attached, they're ready to roll, you know, and they're, oh, you've got this. Somebody saw that you've got like initial um, momentum on your project, you know, moving forward. That's enough for them to say, okay, I'll come in. Or if you can finish that film, I'll give you an X amount of money, you know, deal like a, a promise note or something, you know, that you can get the, the loan from the bank to finish your film. The whole point is like we would come out of that meetings or those meetings going, we just landed a deal. We made the deal. And that's and that's and those producers that run that world in that game, they're just making deals after deals after deals. They're using their long term connections and relationships with international film buyers and then themselves and production companies. And they're just, you know, they just know where they fit into the deal. Like, oh, you know what? I'm not ready to come into that deal unless you got the film made. Then I might come in for the prints and advertisement to PA uh, funds. You know, I'll come in the back end. That's where I want to be. Where it's like, oh, some producer goes, you know, okay, I'll, I, I think we can raise the, the funds. If you've already got the actor in place, you got all the stuff ready to roll, then maybe we can come in and do the finishing funds or, you know, meet you 50% of the, the production funds since you already have the other 50%, you know, that kind of thing. It's, just that's why Kickstarter was created so is to help the independent filmmaker just get the what is it what what is called Kickstart. They just needed the funds to kickstart their project. Where they take it from there was their the filmmakers and producers' uh, responsibility. Uh, but what you're seeing in the uber independent film space now 
is that everybody's doing like uh, using these crowdfunding campaigns. It's almost like a, a store. <laughs> it's like, well, I made this project and you can get your perks. If you order now, you can get this much. And they use it as sort of almost like a product launch uh, platform and not necessarily a kickstarting, um, you know, fund base for their, for whatever, you know, product, uh, art project or film or tech project product that they're making. So I was going to tell you a story. So I, have, I was making this film, this independent comedy film, like couple, like seven years ago. And like I said, my friend, it was a casting director. So what happened was I was also working with a, a producer at the time that had already had some clout because they had made a film. And so like his name was already associated with something that was tangible that you could see. Well, the casting director talked to the producer and said, okay, for this particular film Scott's working on, I can put out a casting notice. I just need to know how much the budget is. And so the producer just said, he just, I think he just made up an arbitrary number. He just said, ah, 10 million. And so, so I was like, okay, we're making a $10 million film. Cool. The difference was the casting director was very clear. It says, okay, I'm letting them know, you know, your name's going to be attached and everybody in town is going to see this. And he says, fine. We sent out the notice, the casting call. So it says, okay, the independent comedy, this is the script. Uh, here's, we're looking for named actors. It's a $10 million budget. And my friend was telling me, you're going to get, by when we send this out, you're going to get bombarded with so many people right now. Just get ready for it. Boom. She sends out the notice and like our emails just like lit up. We set up the casting, like all these named people, like, like not superstars, but people that I, we recognize just start coming in. And then I, I started getting uh, all these people that they got in that town, like then like the certain people start reading the script. And then I had certain name actors wanting to meet with me personally because they want to be in the movie. Wow. You know, it's just one of those things. So I got this, I'm telling you, if you could put us, if you get a casting director and they're good of sending out your spec, your script and saying that this is what we're, we're putting into place with this producer or this money, to get named stars and actor it's not that hard <laughs> i mean it was like it was like a floodgate and it was amazing to see all these amazing actors come in for the auditions and then having a chance to do one-on-one -on -one meetings with some named actors and it was like okay so i realized it wasn't the there's not like a mystery to it you know what i mean it's like if you have enough money you hire a casting director they do their job and putting out a casting notice and you will get you know names you know Mm -hmm. Or they would, if some casting directors have more personal relationships with certain managers and agents and stars, so they can help, you know, direct you towards those people based off your project scope and budget. Now, the thing is, it's like, there's a lot of agents that were calling, uh, the producer to just verify, like, is this not BS? Is this like, is it true 10 million or whatever it is? And, um, and he just gave him the, the same speech, which was like, yeah, you know, I have relationships with uh, several foreign film buyers, these people that, you know, just I just came off my film. And like, again, he had clout because he had made a film. And um, because we we're, fin we're making up the rest of the funds with private equity and soft money and soft money means uh, tax incentives, tax refunds. This is the reason why producers go to like certain states like New Orleans or cities like New Orleans and um um, you know, Georgia and so on like that. And New Mexico was a hotbed for a while, um, which is why you don't see them making films in California as much because there's not a huge tax incentive program there. So that's, um, so he was just kind of doing Hollywood speak 
because there was no budget. He was just bullshitting his way through just this conversation. But what it did do, it initiated the momentum where he had a name cast attached and we did like a table read and that, you know, that led to an opportunity to pitch it to a prominent producer that had a deal with a distribution company. And it looked like everything was going to go, but it didn't go. Uh, nothing's ever like, you know, nothing's ever real until it's like up on the screen. And then, and then I had to like shuffle around and find different producers because the initial producer lost interest and you know, what all the kind of stuff. So it's like, it's a lot of just juggling around, but the act of getting uh, name talent attached was actually more sim simplified than I ever thought it would be. <laughs> so that's really the process. I mean, if you, I, I see a lot of producers try to like work a different angle, like they might know somebody who knows somebody who knows the star and just to get them interested. Um, but reality is, you know, you, it probably costs a lot less to hire a casting director than it would trying to do all this runaround, trying to secure an actor that may just drop out altogether, you know? So, mm -hmm. So if that helps, you might just have to contact the casting director themselves that you decide who might be the best fit for you in your particular project and style of project. And just ask them how much they cost. <laughs> you know what and I mean? They, yeah. Sorry. No, I'm done. No, I'm done. Go ahead. I was just going to ask. And the casting director kind of helps you put together like what a list might cost. So they go like, if you have X amount of dollars, these maybe are the people that would be attached. But if you only have this, well, we could still talk to these people. Would is that would they help you with that or? Yeah, sometimes uh, the, all casting directors are a little different. Um, like I said, there might be a cat if you're going for a casting directing company or director that specializes in, in independent film and finds good actors that have um, place really great upcoming talent. You know, like uh, Jennifer Lawrence when she did Winter Bones, you know, totally, totally unknown, but she got. The casting directors found her and the producers and brought her in and she was amazing you know obviously got an oscar nomination for that uh performance before hunger games but the yeah they will take a look like uh, the first step is just kind of identify maybe who a list of casting directors and approach them and ask them what their fees are you know and that way you can know how much money you need to raise or have an investor raise and then once you get that person on for maybe a consultation call or a meeting they can take a look at your project and give you a realistic world view of like, okay, this is, this is what you're going to need in order to get these type of people or these type of actors might be involved, uh, interested in what you're doing. And then at that particular point, they'll give you the, the, the rundown. Like they'll say, okay, here's what's going to happen. Like in my case, it's like, look, you're going to have a bunch of name actors going to come and want to meet you. And they're some are going to be really super enthusiastic. Then sometimes you're going to get across some name actors that call, they say they're really interested and but the reality is they're not really interested they just feel like they want to be felt like they've been validated uh, because some of their uh, other acting friends that have names were called and called in and they, and they weren't i'm telling you it's like the craziest like she like she was able to like explain to the to the t what exactly was the games that were going on you know what i mean so like i had to do my uh just I had to meet with certain actors I knew that weren't interested. They just, or just follow up to a con, you know, a follow up with them just because of, uh, um, it was formality of just making sure that the, the actor felt, you know, wanted still and like, you know, like, it's really weird. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy how some of the games work and I'm sure, you know, there's more to it. So they would help you with that, navigate that world. And they should be able to help you navigate like, you know, are we doing this, uh, at a certain budget in the union? in terms of like what the 
Are they doing scale? If they're not doing scale, then every actor, they always say they have a quote, right? Like, oh, my quote for per feature film is 100,000 or something like that, right? And the reality is, is most of them, that's what they say their quote is, but nobody gets their quote. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you got, it's like one of those things like, that's fine. That's what your quote is, but that's what we're, that's not where we're going to sign you to. Or, you know, it, just the process, honestly, of having a casting director is, allows you to maybe just to hold meetings with certain named actors or hold auditions with upcoming actors. And you have an opportunity to nurture those relationships follow up with them afterwards because if the deal falls through like it did for me um it didn't stop me from still being friends or relationship with certain people you know what i mean so it's like an it's a you pay basically to play but you you can use a, the the services of a casting director to get to know a lot of actors very quickly you know <laughs> mm -hmm. if you want to play in that world so yeah, yeah. So I know it's a long-winded answer. I didn't mean to go that long on it, but uh, I hope that that uh, helped out. Well, that's great. I mean, because like I said, I, you you think of that kind of thing and you just don't even know where square one is. Like, where where is square one? And then I can decide like, oh, this is this is totally ridiculous. I could never do this. Or like, oh, you know, if I work at it, I could do it. I just need to know where to start. So that's that's a great answer. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Okay, cool. We can jump to the second question. Um, and you see this screen right here. And it says, your second question was, is there a way to be more directly, oh, yes. is there a way to more directly reach the fans of another movie or movies that seem similar to your own, such as other movies on Facebook pages, Twitter accounts, etc.? So there is actually, it, there's a way... If you don't have an audience and you're like, well, gosh, I would love to have the same audience as this particular film. I'm mean, guessing, right? Yes. So, like yes. You're, so, you're, so you can identify that. Um, the way to do this is um, we just take Facebook, for example. There's a way to actually pay for ads, Facebook ads. But the, what ads you create or the post, you know, it has to be engaging to that specific fan page. So there's a way to essentially sort of market and honestly hijack an audience. But if there's a film on Facebook that has X amount of likes and you're like, I wish I had that audience, um, within Facebook, you can create your film fan page. And then within that fan page, there's an option to create ads and uh, or Facebook posts and ads using their power editor. And within that, you can target um, an audience or target keywords. They, there, you can't quite target specific fan pages that aren't yours, but within the fan pages, there are certain keywords, certain searchable words that are associated with that fan page. Um, and some other retargeting that you can kind of focus on people that who had liked that kind of fan page. And so now all of a sudden you can create a little, uh, Facebook ad, uh, that highlights what your film is about or, so it might be saying something like, say there's a, f a fan page for the film uh, Upstream Color or Primer, uh, Shane Carruth's films. And say I wanted to get people to see my film, The Cube. Well, then I would have to do something like acknowledge, like if you, were, if you loved Primer and Upstream Color, then you may like The Cube, you know? And then, you know, somebody like, oh, okay, I'll check that out. 
and they might go, God, this is nothing like those films. This is this film is actually worse. So they hold, you know, whatever it might be. But the whole point is you can maybe um, you have to pay because in Facebook, you have to pay to play. Same thing with Twitter. Um, if you want to do that route, they have Twitter ads and Instagram now has ads, you know, so it's like every platform. I think Pinterest is going to finally get there, too, where the, the data they've collected over how many people like so much stuff or have engaged in so much stuff that is in a database that that's what they use to sell to marketers and the marketers are anybody now it's just anybody who's willing to pay to promote a, a post and that's how all these you know how facebook is going to justify their billion dollar evaluation you know so um so with that said is there a way to do it organically the only way you can do it organically is to uh, use hashtags or with rele relevant uh, keywords uh, to engage with that audience already that it may be in the comment section of this movie fan page. Um, but you got to be careful because you can't just you can't spam and try to get people over to your film site or whatever it is. You know, you have to get to sort of build that relationship uh, organically and um, naturally so that you can decide like, well, how can I get some of these people over to, you know, where, what I'm doing? But the easiest way to do it is just pay. But the, the difference is the, the amount of money you spend for like a Facebook ad is not going to be as much as it is to like pay for the actor or the, the casting director. So it's actually very small, like a, a 50, you know, $50 to $200 a month, you know, $500 a month or something like that. Uh, that small amount in terms of the whole scheme of your your film budget uh, can be very impactful as long as you are very clear about the kind of uh, content marketing and, and ads and, and posts that you're putting together. You know, if you create a really bad ad, you're not going to get a lot of conversions. So this allows you to be Don Draper of Mad Men. You know, when you're creating an ad for your film, this is, gives you an opportunity to create those ads that are going to entice people to come see your project or come over to your uh, web page. So I don't know if that helps. Oh, absolutely. That's kind of what I was wondering because there have been right now I'm, I'm working on a, a romantic comedy and there are like two or three movies that are similar in genre and also kind of similar in scope in that they don't have any named stars, um, you know, but they do have pretty popular uh, pages. You know, they have, one has like 190,000 followers, and I was like, wow, you know, that if I could reach those 190,000 people, like there's a good chance a lot of them might be interested in what I'm doing, as opposed to just kind of blanketing, you know, an age group, say, you know. Yeah. And going like, well, I, I hope some of these people are interested, but you go, wow, I, I think a lot of those 190, there's a good chance, you know, they've already shown interest in a movie that's of a similar genre and of a similar scope in that, you know, it's not a mega Hollywood movie. Yeah. They might, they might take a chance on, on something I would produce. Yeah. So it's interesting. The, in that case, then it's like, um, it's kind of careful because you want you can do your targeted ads to that same group of people that liked it, but you don't necessarily put reference to it in uh, your ad because that gotcha. way, that way, so like if I'm the person who generated the 190 fan, 90,000 fans, and I saw somebody kind of hijacking my uh, audience, uh, that could be uh, seen as wrong or not. Seen, it just seems off, but they they won't see the ad um, per se. Um, 
if it's just like you showing off like your version of the uh, or your film you know mm -hmm. uh it, it it gets kind of complicated because you kind of have to be like you know how do you do it organically so it feels like um like somebody just scrolling through the news feed is like yeah i like that film i was one of the 190,000 people that liked that film for some reason so now i'm all of a sudden seeing ads in my news feed for another film that looks interesting you know that's similar you know maybe they now like that because that that would feel organic but if it's if it's really blatant where you're scrolling through and you're saying, if you liked, you know, this romantic comedy, then you might like this one. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. You know, like how do they know? It's it's honestly, you see it probably when you're online, when Amazon does that retargeting, somebody grabs like the Amazon code. And so you might have searched something on Amazon and then you start just going through your day, searching through other websites. And on the sidebar, there's like everything that you had just looked at is being shown back to you. Have you seen that? Yeah, before? yeah, yeah. on Facebook all the time or eBay even. Yeah. It's like you so, looked at this. Like, yeah, so it's, it's screaming at you like, yeah, you looked at it, but you didn't buy it, but we want to buy it now. You want to buy it now? You want to buy it now? And uh, it's called retargeting. So that bit of code with the cookies that are tracking your shopping habits what you're watching or on Amazon, if, you know, you're just maybe adding to your wish list or something. That data gets stored in your browser. And so when you go to every other site, it's something non-related to Amazon whatsoever, the, uh, those particular sites will then embed a specific like retargeting code or something. So it, it can grab where you were, which is why it's able to keep everything relevant to you. So your experience is so uniquely set to you. Well, the same happens, I guess, in like Facebook because with all this data they've collected on all of us in terms of what we like and what we don't like and what we shared and not shared, all that stuff gets stored in the database so that when you want to target those people, you just pay. You create an ad and there's parameters you set up and you can target and you hopefully you get a good conversion. And honestly, that's all that online marketing has come down to now. It's targeting a group very, very, very specific building a ad campaign or a promotional post that speaks to those very specific people and then you spend money and then you see how much money you spent and does that translate in x amount of conversions and are those conversions do they lead to sales and did you make more sales than you spent on your um, facebook marketing campaign if you're spending more and you're losing money like if you're spending too much money and not seeing enough return then that's you can go back in all the analytics and stuff like that to figure out why what's not working. But um, eventually, you know, filmmakers are going to get there and they're going to get there on their own. Right now, we're seeing it with uh, the online marketing and business space. But eventually, I think a lot of filmmakers over the next couple of years are going to start learning tactics like this uh, for their own films. So that's one way you can do it. Yeah, cool. that's great. All right. So let's go to question number three. In question number three, you asked, uh, here, uh, wait, uh, there we go. <laughs> My mouse wasn't clicking. I think it's the batteries are dying. All right, question number three, how do you start getting people interested in content that you have not created yet? It's the chicken or the egg. Probably the easiest way to explain this, uh, to address this question, like, well, gosh, I don't have anything yet. I don't have a movie yet. And I'm supposed to build an audience. I'm supposed to build an email list. That's everybody's telling me. But how do I do that if I don't, you know, have anything? Well, you just got to make shit. <laughs> and when I say this, <laughs> you just start making stuff. Um, the 
oops, there we go. The, the concept here is you don't know. It's just stuff you're interested in. So you're making a romantic comedy. Maybe you do like a collection of your favorite romantic comedies and like the best scenes of those movies. And maybe you, maybe you make an animated GIF of like a scene from Harry Met Sally with some, you know, little text. And then you start sharing that online. And what you're trying to do is get a dialogue, a conversation going online. See people are sharing it. Uh, are they talking about it? Um, but if there is a way that you can add a call to action at the end of everything that you create that leads back to a sign-up page or to the movie you're making, you know, um, you can just put like a big one-page like website landing page that says, "Hi, you know, I'm you know, I'm Matt Garment and I'm making a romantic comedy uh, with no stars, nothing like that." He goes, "But." I love it. I love this genre. Maybe you love it too. Here are some of my favorites. If you want to know more, you know, sign up or something that makes people like, oh, I want to sign up. Or if like, maybe you offer a, um, a really simple PDF giveaway. Just a, like, here's a free PDF of the top 25 romantic comedy movies of the last, you know, 50 years, you know, free. And so, and the cool thing about that is that you are starting the dialogue with your genre. And so when you start putting Twitter, you know, tweets out there and Facebook posts or on Tumblr or something like that, you just have like graphics from other movies that share your love of that genre. But you have to have some sort of call to action that says get the free PDF guide of the top 50 films or romantic comedy films of all time, you know. So somebody goes, oh, I love this genre. I'm going to go get one. So they get it and they look through your little PDF form and all it is is you listing why you think this is the top 50, you know. And But if you can, can add uh, an affiliate link, you basically sign up for a free affiliate uh, account on Amazon and essentially then you grab these affiliate codes and for the movies. So somebody scrolling through your PDF goes, oh, I love Harry Met Sally. Oh, you know, I love well, whatever, four, wedder, four weddings and a funeral or something like that. And it's like, you know, I haven't, I, you know, I haven't seen that movie. So if they click it, it should take them to like uh, the Amazon page where they can buy the film. But if they buy the film, because it's one of your affiliate links, you get a small percentage of that sale. Um, but as long as you fully disclose that in the PDF, like, look, if you buy anything from these links, these are my affiliate links, means that you don't pay any extra, just means I make a little bit of money. You might not make anything. But the idea here is that the entrepreneurial mindset sets in. You're like, I see this is an avenue to create a little bit of revenue, maybe. And I haven't built anything. I haven't even made my film yet. I just put this together and I'm offering this as a free giveaway so I can get people's email list. And then on the email list is when you start sharing people like where you are in your movie. But that's an easy way of just when I say just making shit, you're just making stuff to just start getting the conversation going and getting traffic started. Um, you might not see a lot, but um, but you got to start somewhere. I mean, zero is zero. And then, you know, 10 is 10. You know, 10 is more than zero. So um, that is one way to do it. And then before you know it, you're just in the, the groove of things in your conversation about where you are at the movie, uh, wherever you are, you know, making it or, you know, building your fan base and that kind of stuff, because you're not, you're not sharing about like, this is me. This is all my, my struggles about making the film. You're sharing in the joy of the genre or whatever it might be that you hope that when you finish your, your project, there's an element of trust because you've been doing it for so long and people are following you so long. They're like, 
cool. He's, you know, Matt's finally made his film, his version. And now we're going to support him because I like Matt or whatever it might be. So that's one way to get around that chicken or the egg is just start. And if you don't have anything, you curate other information or other media, and then you reshare that out to uh, the, the, you know, the online world. So cool. Let me know if that worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's great. That's great. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about um, kind of tapping into the genre as, as you know, stuff to share or, or kind of getting other information. I was, I was, I was thinking too much about this project and like, I don't really have you. Oh, worked on the script today. You know, isn't a very interesting or engaging post for someone to get. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Yeah, so that's just a fun way, and it'll keep you interested as well. So cool. I will jump over to question number four. All right, question number four. You see that? And question number four is: If a project is at least six months from being released. When should promotion begin and how regularly should it be promoted? Well, then it's interesting. The fact that you can even, you know, try to think about six months out, which is fantastic because most people like all of us just we make something and then because it takes all our effort just to finish it. <laughs> it's like then you got to figure out how to promote it. And then it, the worst thing is to have some expert tell you like, well, it's too late. You should have been doing it at the beginning. You're like, you know what? That, I know it's too late, but the reality is sometimes not all of us have that luxury. So what do we do? So, but if you have the ability to see six months out, we can do uh, what the um, people that publish for, you know, um, media empires or whatever, they, they have like the uh, editorial calendar. I don't know if you heard that about this. So I can show you some examples um, of what maybe an editorial calendar looks like. So um, I will do, uh, I'm going to open this, this screen here. Do, do, oops, come here. Okay. If you see this, I'm going to show you my screen. Here we go. Oops. Do you see that? Yes. Okay. So. In this, this is from like ProBlogger, uh, and they have like a basic Google Calendar. And in here, they you know they color coded like admin tasks in red, editorial tasks in orange, yellow, and a promotional task in blue. So within this, you can see what their weekly schedule will look like. So you can plan, you can reverse engineer. If you know six months out that you're going to be releasing your film, how do you start backtracking it out six months before it's released? And then what kind of content can you create? So it's almost like you're storyboarding. You're creating a story. So you're like, oh my God, month one, we have to start, you know, laying down some mystery, you know, so maybe all the content that we create is more mysterious. Here's another con uh, a sort of example of a calendar from HubSpot. They will literally say, what's the topic title, like of a post, you know, so they say, okay, our blog post or, our, or the media that we're promoting is going to be 12 revealing charts to help you benchmark your business blogging performance with new data. So in the content details, they explain what this topic is about. They have some keywords associated with it. They have an, a target persona. Uh, they've got some offer and the CTA is call to action. So they're very cognitive of like, okay, everything that we create has to fit into the parameters of who we're talking about, you know, uh, the content details, what our keywords are, are they SEO friendly? You know, so maybe they've done their research ahead of time. 
And mostly it's like, we've got to make sure that we have a call to action because we need to get people on our email list. And here, this is a free report. It's mar marketing benchmarks from 7,000 K business or 7,000 businesses. So here, then they go down here. This is like SEO tips. And now they've got a free giveaway that's that's in alignment with their uh, topic, which is like a free learning SEO experts guide or whatever. So all this stuff means like taking a deep breath and going, okay, we can actually plot out our six months trajectory. Uh, I'm going to show you another thing real quick. Uh, where did it go? Oh yeah. And I'll offer this up for free um, to on the, uh, for everybody. So this is, this is actually coming from, uh, let me see here. Can you see this chart? It's like an Excel chart. Yes. So this is a blank calendar, and this comes from uh, Content Marketing Institute. They're out in Cleveland. Uh, they're based in Cleveland. So they offer this free template. Uh, so you can just change the dates, of course. You can decide who the author is of the, the post, the headline. When I say post, it's either a blog post or it's like an Instagram post. Uh, you know, or it's a tweet, or it's an Instagram uh, photo, or it's a Pinterest uh, photo. It's a Facebook post. Here's the status of whether or not, you know, you can check it off based off your calendar, call to action, category, notes. And then they have uh, tabs here, blogs in progress and other ideas later on. And then maybe some ideas that come up that you can figure out where to schedule later. So I'll make this template available. It actually comes from the Content Marketing Institute. And so uh, everybody can benefit from this if they decide to go down this path of, oh, you know, I got six months. How much do we how, how often do we promote? They're pretty much going to be promoting every week, almost every day. You know, maybe your your bandwidth being a Uber independent filmmaker, you can only do once a month. But if you can plan it out, uh, then you can be very targeted, knowing that it's all coming down to when you finally launch your film online. You know, and everything that you built up to that point is uh, is working. I don't I don't have I don't use one of these like because I don't mine is like week to week. <laughs> so like I do have like a, a smaller version of this. Um, I might plan out some, a lot of the, my posts for film trooper out for the week, knowing like if I'm promoting a, a free webinar or the next Google hangout session, you know, I try to like have things build up to that. I'm not very successful half the time because uh, it's a lot of work, especially everything. You can totally see this is a full-time job or, or a team, you know, if you want to do it to that level. So it's like, how do you do it as an Uber independent filmmaker? Well, you got to have a, a something in place, but you got to give yourself a break too. Like there's only so much promotion you can do. So you got to kind of work it to your own schedule and your own lifestyle and your own resources, um, you know, to try to have some sort of consistency. But that's one way to approach the issue of like, well, how often and, you know, and where do I go? And you can probably, you know, hit almost every social media if you can handle it but at least this a editorial schedule will give you a better context of like what your overall pl plan is. And then you know that every time you send something out, there's a conscious effort to have some sort of result at the end. Is it to get more leads? Is it to sell your, start people buying your film? Is it just to get them on your email list and you'll deal with selling the film later? You know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Because I, what I was worried about is, like I said, I'm I'm gonna start shooting hopefully next month, and like that's gonna generate a lot of content because you'll have like you know 
uh, photos from on set or behind the scenes kind of stuff. Right. My my temptation is always to like post that stuff as soon as I get it, and then maybe you hit the post production process, and then there's a lull in content. And yeah. Then people who were following kind of while the behind the scenes stuff, then they're like they forget about you while you spend three four months in post. And I was just wondering if there was a better way to like, do you gather that stuff and then hold it and then go like, well, I know I'm going to release on this date, so then I should start releasing it instead of like, oh, I've got a cool clip. Let's just share that today. Yeah. Hey, I made a post today. Oh, I don't have a poster next week, but oh, well, you know. <laughs> right. Be more think, method methodical, I guess. Yeah. And um, one thing, too, to everybody to know, it's like, it's okay. Like, I think it's okay to reshare or repost content you've already posted as long as like it's in a cycle. So maybe the first week you had some um, shooting of like you were shooting maybe like in the kitchen or something. So it's like all these great behind the scenes footage while you're shoot shooting in the kitchen. Well, you can post that out for that, that week and then, um, you know, and then repeat it the next week because the whole thing is like in Twitter, it's okay to repost what you've already posted because Twitter's so many people on. They're just, it's so fleeting. They might see it once and even if they see it again, it's okay. Cause it's like the film business itself, the Hollywood system, which is how many times do we see the 30 second trailer or, or, or a trailer about a movie coming out, you know, a couple of weeks before it actually comes out. It's okay for us to see the same trailer over and over, you know, or mm -hmm. see material that's similar over and over. Cause it, the, the, the customer's mind is like, I think I forget what the psychology is. It's like they need to be exposed to the media or the message, like something ridiculous, like 10, 12 times before they actually make a decision. Mm. You know, like there's a, there's a whole, I had to look into it, but there's a whole sales funnel or I'm sorry, marketing funnel. And the mar where the marketers handle this is like, is the, the potential buyer is goes from like just being aware. They have to first be aware that you have something. Then there has to be enough of, of impressions before they actually make a valuation that they might actually do something like they actually work to the point of like uh, the next stage is like, will they consider, you know, and then it, this huge chasm between being aware of what you have and then where they're, where they actually take action and buy something, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's okay to, and don't feel like you're spamming. It's only spam if you feel like, the message is very spammy. If it's really just check me out, check me out, check me out, then that's spammy. But if you have a very valuable post, that's like um, uh, three things you didn't know about, you know, um, you know, women on their first date, you know, in a romantic comedy, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, so th those are actual helpful tips that, you know, associated with your movie, you can give three quick tips, you know, about this mystery. But you can creatively tie it into the movie you're making. You can say, "Look, we explored the the psychology of you know three un, you know mysteries to men that women do on the first date that we never knew. We had to explore this for the writing of our film, you know. But here are the three th th three things. So then you know women or men are reading this. Go, cool. I got th three quick tips I never thought about. And now that was a valuable benefit to me as a reader of looking to go on a first date, but it you've tied it in creatively to the film that you're making you're like oh cool so then when you want to repost that you know blog or whatever it won't feel spammy because 
you know, not everybody saw that uh, initial tweet, uh, the initial Facebook post. And it's okay to put it in a cycle where you repeat the same uh, message, but maybe you switch the thumbnail, you know? So it's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, you shouldn't feel embarrassed because you are, or feel like you're spamming people or promoting too much. My God, you know, that's one thing that the businesses do. They don't care. They don't think they're, they're they, they don't think they're promoting enough. And it'd be interesting. It'd be really interesting because you can do as much hustle and bleed and sweat for trying to get everybody to let them know that you have your last five days of the crowdfunding campaign happening. And I guarantee you, like you feel like you're spamming everybody and you have like a best friend that's on Facebook with you going, I didn't know you were doing a movie. Like it happens. Like it's, yeah. it's stuff like that happens. Like, like, Oh yeah, I kind of saw something about that. You know what I mean? They, they kind of like, Oh yeah. And like, even though you feel like I've been talking about this nonstop, but like, yeah, you know, I kind of see it once in a while. Like that's the reaction of the real world. So don't yeah. feel bad about like, Oh my God, I got to, you know, put so much out. Like, you'll never be able to put enough out. That's really the problem, you know? Mm. So one way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's great. That's a great perspective. So cool. Let me jump to uh, question number five. Uh, see, question number five, you asked, should I vary which content I put out on different platforms or should I put out everything on every platform? Well, I guess we could have answered that, you know? it's It gets down to the point of, how strategic your marketing and promotion plan is going to be. Um, and it doesn't, it shouldn't be laborious, you know, because if you're a filmmaker, you're a filmmaker, and you just accept that, like, if I'm an uber independent filmmaker, that's what I am. So my marketing efforts are never going to be as big as Hollywood, or, or unless I can create a team that loves this stuff, that loves sharing this. And if I could put a framework around it through an editorial calendar, then maybe we get a much more, a very directive uh, effort to get a result. Is the result to get more leads? Is the result to get people on your email list? Is it to, to get more views on YouTube? Whatever it might be. Or is it just to get people to buy your film? So, you know, you could get spread too thin if you don't have the resources to handle every social media platform, right? Or that's for marketing. Or if it comes down to selling, like you're like, oh gosh, do I put my film onto Vimeo? Do I put it on VHX? Do I put it on iTunes? Do I put it on Google Play? You know, if you get into that world, like how many distribution outlets do I offer my film up to? It can be very costly and expensive if you don't have the proper budget. Um, obviously, if your film is on every platform, that's beneficial in a sense that it's available very easily to an audience. However, that's only beneficial if you have a mass campaign where you where a lot of the like a lot of your potential customers know about your film. The problem with the Uber independent filmmaker is that they we only have a limited bandwidth to to communicate this. So we've got to be really targeted and really specific. So if your romantic comedy is targeted at a certain group of people and maybe you realize like they are all on Pinterest. Mm -hmm. You know majority of them exist on Pinterest. I'm just saying, you know, the stereotype is there's more women on Pinterest. And maybe they would be more interested in your romantic comedy. You yes. Know, it, or, you know, maybe it's an older romantic comedy. And so kids on Tumblr and stuff like that, Instagram are not really f into that. You know, so you realize, oh, so it is on Pinterest. So then what it is, it's like, then I got to focus my marketing effort just solely on Pinterest um, and find out like, 
then through the communication, through your email list, the people that are following you, you can decide like, you know what? They don't even know what Google Play is. They don't even know what Vimeo is or whatever it is like that. It's like, um, I might have to find a very easy to access my film distribution platform that makes sense for them, that particular audience. And you won't know that until you ask, you know, and do some surveys, um, but you'd be really surprised. Cause the problem like Vimeo, like somebody from the outside is like, oh, I check out your film, but they gotta like, they gotta create a, an account. Like mm. in order to like watch your film, they gotta create an account. You're like, it's okay for other filmmakers cause they probably, most of them have their, an account already. So they're already in the system. But for the Joe Blow, you know, person audience checking it out, they're like, what? Another account I got to sign up for, you know, it's like, uh, we're something at least like with Gumroad, uh, gumroad.com, you can upload your film and it's, there is no sign up. It's just simply, if you want to buy it, there's a box dialogue box comes up and like enter your credit card information, your email, boom, it downloads it. And I think they offer some streaming capabilities too. So you oh. can stream it. Yeah. So Gumroad is, is, is eventually taking, uh, evolving on the film space on the benefit too they also the they uh accept paypal and a lot of people in the general user base out there have a paypal account vhx does not accept paypal so it's one of those things like oh you know that's interesting because you're trying to make the distribution method eventually so easy for that consumer that there are like hardly any barriers it's just simply if they see your film oh i like the trailer um where do i rent it here's a real easy button you hit to rent it okay credit card information real quick got it totally understand i gotta pay for it boom done yeah you know like these other sites when you gotta sign up and stuff it, it could be one step be so annoying for somebody who's not in that world be like ah never mind you yeah. know it, it happens sure so, so you kind of have to do your due diligence and figure out what your audience is willing to you know go through are they willing to go to vimeo if you send them to a page or really a lot of it honestly you're just trying to get them to your home page and then use some embed code that is already set up so it's not like they have to go to another site you know mm -hmm. i mean i'm using vimeo uh right now because it makes it easy i have a really nice landing page and it's just like boom but i do know i'm fully aware that it's like uh you know i hate the fact that they have to make people sign up you know yeah 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 so We'll see if that changes. So with that said, as we come to the hour mark, and I know that the whole uh, topic of today's show is pricing your film, I know your last question, and we can get in a much deeper conversation, is how do you determine a perfect price point for the Uber Indie? And what do I got here? Oh, yeah, and that brings us to pricing your film. Okay, so the concept about pricing, this brings me up to this one of my favorite books, that got me started down this path of exploring internet marketing and online business was a book called priceless the myth of fair value and how to take advantage of it uh, by william poundstone and look at this i provide a link if you want to buy this book you know you can download these slides when we're all done and but you can also click on the link at filmtrooper.com uh forward slash priceless book and it's an affiliate link because it'll actually take you to the amazon page if you want to buy this book but the interesting takeaway from this book that I got was the anchor price. And so the interesting thing about this concept of the anchor price is for anybody selling anything in retail stores or online is this concept of like, 
the studies and the psychological studies and the sociological studies uh, William Poundstone was able to uncover for this book was you start with a like in negotiation you start with a price that sometimes is the first price that sets in somebody's mind like so if i'm working with you and i come to you and i say you know you're going to hire me right for a position and i say something outrageous and they you know how they always say in negotiation like the first person who says a number is 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 going to lose okay. unless unless you say something so outrageous like all right, I, I, I'd love to work at your company, Matt, and um, my asking salary is a uh, half a million dollars. And you're like, what? Because well, you know, because then all of a sudden, it the anchor price sets so high, so ridiculously high, that we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then it reveals, like, look, the job only is in the range of like sixty thousand, seventy-five thousand. Then you're like, then like, whoa, that's well, I guess my I'm way off on what you thought this was. You know what? Um, can we settle on 80 and you're like oh okay 80. the thing is i always wanted to get eighty thousand, you know but because i said some outrageous price is half a million dollars it set the psychological wheel spinning like whoa that's really high so getting you at eighty thousand sounds like a bargain however mm -hmm. you were in this mindset of like wait a minute our budget's only for like a 60 to 75. <laughs> you know so the point is like i was able to get above that um, you might see it in the, in the case study in the book, it was talking about like a high price, uh, purse. Like you go into like a women's retail thing and they're selling this beautiful like purse that is in the price to into, in a glass case. And in the price, it says like $2,500. So everybody's like, Oh my God, 20, it's a beautiful purse, but $2,500. I don't have it. And right below are similar purses from the same manufacturer, but they're priced at like 500. So you're like, oh, you know what? I can't afford that golden, you know, twenty five hundred. But these five hundred dollar ones, I can afford. The difference mm -hmm. is, if you'd have shown up at the store and all you saw in the display was here's five hundred dollar purses, the psychology of the buyer is like, I ain't spent paying five hundred dollars for that purse, you know. But because the anchor price was there, the establishing price made us think, you know, like, oh, well, maybe this is a better value because it almost looks the same. So how does that work for your film? Well, that's why you see um, a, a, a purchase price and a rental price. You know, it's like here's $9.99 or for the for owning it, or $19.99 for owning it, or $9.99 to rent it, or $3.99 to rent it. You know, it's making the lower price more attractive. If you can put a third price in there, it's even better. You know, because you'll see sometimes that in websites, they'll offer like the basic offering, the premium. Um, you know the advanced offering and then a premium model and within that three tiered structure is like here's a 29.99 or 20 19.99 a month offer to the 59 dollars a month offer to the hundred dollars a month offer the idea is that the hundred they always try to make the middle price the one more attractive because mm. they because you look at it like okay the 19.99 it only has a few features like i i can only get so much with that offering but the middle price, okay, 60 bucks is better still than the $100 price point, but I get a lot of stuff with that $60 price point. Because the, the, the businesses are trying to drive you towards that middle price. All those other prices in front of you are just there to drive you to something in the middle. Now, a few people might buy the more expensive one, so, and a few people might just buy the inexpensive one. So you make money either way. Or 
when you do like a price slash, there's a reason why the, the anchor price works, which is like you see the nine, $97 offering and there's a big red slash and it says, but you can get it for $37. If you just, if you never saw the $97 and you just saw like a $37 offering, you're already going like $37, whatever the offer is, it's like it, you're set on trying to weigh out the buying decision of like, do I really want to spend $37 as opposed to, Man, $97 is too much, but they slashed it and 37 is looking really good now. It's really weird how the psychology of the anchor price works out. So here's another example um, of a book I just finished. Uh, I need to probably read it again. It was really heady. <laughs> um, but it's called, uh, it's, it's considered the best selling uh, book on selling on sales ever. Uh, Neil Rackman's Spin Selling. And spin selling is defined as situation, problem, implication, need, payoff. And he's his company does is a research company for years that studies sales. And there's actually a difference between how someone sells a low price point product and a high price point product. And the example they give in the book is um, this is I don't know if you can see this, but this is an old book. So he was talking about men's calculator watches, right? The old day, you probably remember that, you know, you get a calculator watch, you know, it was big. Oh, yeah. Deal. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. so um, the idea here is that listing a bunch of features for a low price point product works. So with a men's calculator watch, look on the right hand side. There's like you can do addiction, uh, addition, subtraction, division, multiplication, markup, markdown, percentages, plus melody, you know, melody, uh, melod melody alarm, month, date, all this kind of all, basically listing features up the wazoo and then you're thinking like that's a lot of features and then it's that's its version of the anchor price because it shows you these features and you see the low price point you're like man that's awesome 995 perfect now compared to i don't know if you can see this there's like a bubbly champagne glass with these elegant watches at the bottom yes and, and if they listed features in this ad and then they said this watch is you know five hundred dollars. You'd be like, hell no. So what it is is the psychology is they are selling the elegance, the romance of affluency or being affluent and wealthy and aristocrat or whatever it might be. Some something it gives you stature. So this is how they advertise it. So you are expecting already that this watch is going to cost around like a couple hundred dollars, if not a thousand or something, right? Yes. So we look at the psychology here is then how does it apply to the world of film? Like if you're, you know, marketing your film. Well, let me go back here. So let me give it. Yeah, we can discuss this more because actually you and I, you sent me an email. It was very great, it was very thorough because you were basically saying like you had when you first found me or found what I was talking about and you went to look my particular film, The Cube. You know, at least I had offered, you know, the trailer plus the first seven minutes to give value to see, like, if you like this stuff, then it may be worth checking out. However, you mentioned that perhaps the price point might have been too high, you know, yes. because in and I want you to kind of elaborate on that because I think it's sure. a great point. And we can kind of discuss further the, the concept of uh, filmmakers dealing with um why price something as you know do i price it 99 cents do i give it away for free you know that kind of stuff so yeah tell me what your experience was like and kind of what your questions or your thinking was as you're going through that process 
Well, I definitely, I mean, I was impressed because I kind of, I kind of fell, fell down the rabbit hole a little bit because I think the initial post, I might've found it in like the Indie Mogul Google forum. Yeah. And it was just like, hey, here's how I made a movie for 500 bucks. And I'm like, oh, well, I, I made a movie for kind of 500. I'm, I'm interested <laughs> to see what he did because I, I was interested in that. And then I think it took me to, you were kind of in the, in the thing you were explaining how to market it while you were marketing it. So it was like, one thing you want to do is post some reviews. Here are some reviews from my film, The Cube. Yeah. And it had a couple write-ups. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then it was like, then you want to ask people if they want to know more. Do you want to know more? I'm like, I do want to know more. So I clicked <laughs> and I watched the footage from the premiere that you had posted. Okay. And I was like, oh, that seems cool. And it's like, well, would you like to see the first seven minutes? And I'm like, I would like to see. So I, <laughs> I went ahead and clicked, watched the first seven minutes, and I was like, you know what? I, I would watch this. So I went to the Vimeo page, and then that's kind of where I, where I stopped because it was $5 to rent and $9 to buy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to admit I may be a little cheap. <laughs> I might be a bit of a cheapskate. I was, I was probably expecting like $5 to buy, 99 cents to rent. Interesting. No, that's, that's I was, good, yeah. I was like, I can't, I can't do that. And this is, this is nothing personal because I feel the same way about the film that I made was I was like, I, I'm curious to see it. Yeah. But I don't know that I will love it. Yeah. So I don't know that I want to spend $5 to watch it one time if I don't think I might have a good time. Interesting. You know, it's, uh, yeah, that, yeah, keep going. I, this is really I'll fascinating. buy it for $5. I will buy it because then I can watch it as much as I want or as little as I want. So it's not the $5 price point. I'll definitely buy it because I'm curious to see what you did. And if a couple of days later I want to rewind it or watch this scene or that scene, like that has some value, but to watch it once, it's like, well, I'll give you a dollar and feel like, hey, I supported a local or a, a Uber indie filmmaker. You know, I'll, I'll give you a dollar and if I don't like it, fine. But $5 is kind of on that edge for me personally, where I was like, I'd buy it at that, but I won't rent it for that. And then 10 bucks is just a little, again, like if I don't love it, 10 bucks, I could have gone and gotten a number 10 at McDonald's. <laughs> you know, it's just, but I'm kind of weird that way. No, no, no. I, I actually, th I find this fascinating because I never, you know, when you put, a lot of the businesses, the people I follow online that are, that are really doing well online, they test this stuff out. They have like A, B split testing. They they will have like one campaign that goes to uh, another sales page that has the price at like set up one way, like way low, another price set up high, just to kind of see what's happening. And I've heard stuff of the experts say, you know, be surprised. Like every time we raise the price, we made more sales, you know, so it's oh, odd. Wow. Um, but I guess it's, it's hard to say, but I think I, I can get where your psychology is coming from or the experience is the buying experience. There was enough interest there. You're like, okay, okay, okay. Does the experience match the expectations and the price point? And obviously the initial take, because it's funny, like I did, I think I initially had like $4.99 to $9.99 for, you know, that I recently switched to like just dropping a dollar. So it's like now $3.99 to rent, you know? Mm. And, and I for like one week, I sort of experimented, but I didn't really do a lot of promotion. So I could just for fun, 
you know, drop the price to see from 99 cents into a rental to uh, 4.99 to buy and just run it for like a two weeks to see what happens. And, yeah. you know, you know, like, oh my gosh, you're right. That the sales went up, you know, I, I have a friend in my mastermind group. Uh, he, um, he wrote a book and he was selling at a certain high price point, but then he reduced the price point for like a, a promotional event for like a week. And he saw so many more sales come through. So he decided mm. just to kind of keep it at that low price point. Um, it, you know, it is an art form. Like I said, those books, they try to get dig deeper in terms of the, um, psychology of it. Um, but I, again, unless you get feedback, you won't really know the psychology. You can only speculate. So it's one of those things like, you know, my initial take was, yeah, it is five and 10 bucks, but I'm hoping enough material I got out there. Everybody kind of knows like, all right, you know, a lot of this is, is like charity play too, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> but I do think that's a very valid and interesting, um, experience you and, and perspective you have i i you know the, the whole point of film trooper is to to share these experiences and experimentations with people so let me do that let me switch it up for a while and see what happens you know well, i know i know for me like the good news is like i did keep tabs on it yeah so i i kept going back to your vimeo site and i'm like eventually he's gonna have a sale <laughs> when it was on sale i think I think it was uh, three ninety nine to buy it. I, I went ahead and bought it. Okay, yeah, yeah, that was uh, you got that. that well, and I bought it right weeks. away. It was yeah. like it was like oh, there it is, boom, you know, right into my cart and straight into checkout. That is so. But fun. I watched I watched it for maybe six, maybe not quite six months, but yeah. it was a while. Like I bought it in March, and maybe I had found it in December. So I guess that's like three months that I every once in a while I'd go back and be like, no, it's still there. I'd listen to the podcast and go like, well, I, I kind of want to see that, but we'll see where he's priced at. And then eventually I bought it, you know, okay. at, the, at the sales price. So I just think, I don't know. Again, it's like, for me, I kind of put, try to put myself in the consumer's shoes. Like, what would I pay? And that's when like pricing my own things. And it's like, there is a point where I will buy something, even if I'm not sure if I'll like it but it's like right at that $5 limit for me. So yeah, like yeah. Mike Vogel had his film. Yeah. And I was curious to see it and he had it for sale and maybe that's where I came up with the $5 idea. But um, did you kiss anyone? Yeah, he sold yeah. that for five bucks. And I was like, you know, I like his blog posts and I don't know if this is going to be my thing or not, but five bucks, you know, and I can support him and I can watch it as many times as I want. You know, that's kind of where it shook down for me. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it's be fun. Let me uh, announce here. But I think you just, I think what I need to do too is just shoot out like a um, a promotional um, event from it. Like, yeah, now, yeah. like if you've been following, like, you know, I'm going to have this, the film's going to be on, you know, has been reduced, the price or whatever, or whatever it is. Like you see it all the time with sales gimmicks, right? You always say, hey, for this week only, get a, the 50% off or whatever it might be, you know? So I might have to do something like that to not because it's funny, you got it at $3.99. I was just I was messing around one day just to see like, what if I just didn't offer any rental? I just offered a straight four dollar, four dollar price point. And I didn't I didn't announce it to anybody. I just sort of wanted to see. And I think uh it's interesting that you were, you know, monitoring it. 
uh, that tells me that maybe there are other people out there, you know, monitoring it. So and I just need to put a little bit more push promotion behind it um, hmm. because uh, I'm on the verge of like doing another experiment for Film Trooper is completely remarketing the film. I have a new poster for it and I've got some good feedback and I'll probably end up editing some another scene in the middle just to sort of cut it down to make the story tighter. And then I'm going to remarket it out to a very specific uh, group of people, an audience that's, that are not filmmakers. That means my whole marketing messaging has to change. And I want to share that experiment uh, with the Film Trooper community. But this allows me to say, hey, for maybe a limited time only, you know, we're reducing the price and then the, the cube, you know, this original format will will change after I'm done because it's going to be a re-release or something like that. That's the beauty of actually owning your own IP, right? Yeah. Because you can market it, remarket it. You can do your George Lucas versions of like, this is, you know, the special edition or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. after you get some feedback. So uh, there's something, uh, beauty to that, but I will, I will, uh, let you know, I'll keep, you know, keep posted, but I think I, I would like to take this, um, opportunity to hear somebody's, uh, experience with the the buying experience to say okay i could totally see where that's coming from now in terms of my expectations for everything that has been described about this film the price point should be this and so i need to i feel like i i need to match that better so and very interesting and i i hope that people are listening and watching have an opportunity to say ah maybe something to explore with their own films so very cool yeah i don't i don't know like my me personally like i I don't know. I, I put my film on uh, Amazon for two dollars and fifty cents. Mm -hmm. Like I like I mentioned in uh, the email I sent to you, I have I have earned a whopping I think around twelve bucks uh, <laughs> total. So uh, I don't know anything about pricing. Uh, price it low, make nothing. Price it high, make. No I have no idea. That was just that was just my personal experience when looking at your film and kind of like. I definitely had an interest. Like it had yeah. totally piqued my interest. I wanted to see it. I just, I was like, I don't know. There's some part of me that just won't let me spend $10 if I'm not sure if I'll yeah. like it or not. Interesting. $5, I'm like, you know, if, if, if it's not my cup of tea, that's fine. But, you know, I helped someone out and I didn't lose anything, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. I, I, I'm really fascinated. I, that's why I was really ex excited to get your email and uh, to have an opportunity to just have this conversation that we could share with other people, because I'm sure people are going through the same thing. I'm sure other filmmakers are listening to this going, oh my God, I had a similar experience or my buddy did, and maybe they have a story they can share with us too. Um, with that said, um, we're wrapping up here a little over the hour mark, but uh, d is there any other, did I catch all the questions as best I could, or what, is there something missing or some other follow-up questions that you wanted to, you're, wanted to ask? No, I think you, I think you hit it really well. There's a lot a lot for me to think about, and uh, especially with casting, that was really interesting. I know it wasn't really a marketing thing, but I yeah. knew you had some experience with that, and that was something I was like, I have no idea even how to do this. If I wanted to do it, I don't know how <laughs> to do it. So that was that was great. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. Well, I'm excited to see you know keep us posted what you're working on and where you are in the film. And like I said, and anybody's you're always invited back to see like, hey, I love to come back on the the, the show. Uh, I love to share what I've done, uh, where I'm at with the film, and then have some other questions that probably peak you know peak up or you know come up. 
So by all means, and I will share with you as well, like what happens with this price change to see what, what happens in that experiment. Yeah, I'm interested to see what you do. Cool. Awesome. Well, with that said, I got to do my due diligence and pay the bills here, <laughs> my version. So listen, you guys, if you guys are stuck around this long on the podcast or on the uh, YouTube channel and rewatch this hangout, everybody knows that you don't go away empty handed. Um, if you actually need some video on demand sales projection numbers, because everybody wants to know, like, I need VOD numbers, I need VOD numbers for their uh, building up their business mall, uh, plan for their next film. You're in luck because you can head on over to freevodreports.com where you will get uh, this weekly video on demand and digital download reports sent directly to your inbox. It's an analysis of VOD and digital download numbers as well as an analysis and case study of the 1% rule. And you get uh, weekly film marketing analysis from Film Trooper on this stuff. All sent to your email inbox if you just head on over to freevodreports.com. And uh, that ends uh, another session of Film Trooper Presents Film Marketing Fridays. I want to say thank you to Matt Garman for coming in and giving us his feedback on everything he's doing. I want to say goodbye to everybody, Matt. Yeah, see you, everybody. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Scott. Thank you. And uh, I will see you guys next time, everybody, on uh, Film Marketing Fridays. Thanks. <laughs>